possible, open your Bibles to First First John chapter four. We got a lot to cover, and I'm excited about preaching tonight. I guess I'm excited. You can't shut me up, can you? <laughs> and um, this uh, real quickly. Last Sunday evening, we're going through First John, and we are at the point where we are uh, same place we were last Sunday night because I didn't get to finish, and that is uh, first. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. I want to remind you, because we're talking about the love of God as we talk about 1 John. And remember, 1 John chapter 4 is the real what chapter? Love chapter. It's not 1 Corinthians 13. Because the Greek word agape, which is found in all 13 verses nine times. In 1 John chapter 4, in only just six verses, and there's more, but in just the verses we're looking at, verses 7 through 12, it's found 13 times. First John chapter 4 is definitely the love chapter. Don't forget that. Although you won't see it on Valentine's cards, because it's focusing, again, remember, not on horizontal love, but on vertical love. Did I get that right? Let's get my, it's like my dad would always struggle, and I sometimes with left and right, I get the vertical horizon thing a little messed up, you know, horizontal. But the challenge uh, is to see God's love as He has communicated it. And that's what we're looking at tonight. God's love on display. Because there's so many people that question, when they hear, well, God loves me, what are you talking about? They don't see it. Because they're looking, they're looking at what's going on around them, current events. They're looking at all the unfairness in the world. And they have many of them have concluded that if there's a loving God, I don't see it. Because God has proclaimed, if you want to see my love, here's where it is on display. Calvary. Here in, and, and this is, in fact, this is what, let's go back. First, first John chapter 4. This is how God has communicated his love. Now, last Sunday, uh, I think it was morning, I'm talking in the morning services about people. Today I talked about toxic people, and we're going to pick up with it after the Resurrection Sunday and the the theme of the Passion and all that in a couple weeks. We're going to continue this idea of talking about um, toxic people. And last Sunday, I think it was, uh, I gave you all my collected quotes on miscommunication, right? And I made a statement, if anybody has any more quotes about miscommunication, let me know. So Serena sent me a link. And it was 60 quotes on miscommunication. And one of them, remember the one, one of my favorite quotes was on there about, um, here it is, let me, let me get it for you. And I never knew, in fact, the source, I, I've quoted this for years, and it, it always, it just said, when I saw it originally, it just said, um, author unknown. But in this article from Serena, here's the, here's the quote, I love this quote. I know that you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. You ever been there? We all have with communicating. I know that you believe you understood what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. That was from somebody named Robert McCloskey, who apparently was an American writer and illustrator of children's books. Who would have thought? So she sends me this article called 60 Miscommunication Quotes to Avoid Misunderstanding. And I go through them. Some of them are really good. I'm going to do more next 
when I pick up with the message in the morning, I'll, I'll eventually give you some of these others. But all of a sudden, I looked at it, and, it's, and I realized, wait a minute, there was only 45 quotes. And then I, I read the title again. It's all about miscommunication. They did that on purpose, those rascals. But here was one of the quotes. I was going to share this this morning. Didn't get time to it. But listen to this quote about miscommunication. Well, it's really no use our talking in the way we have been doing if the words we use mean something different to each of us and nothing. In other words, let me read that again. That is so good. It's really no use our talking in the way we have been doing if the words we use mean nothing, uh, mean something different to each of us and nothing. I want to tell you why that's a good quote in light of what we're looking at tonight. God has communicated, here's where my love is. And there's a lot of people that aren't listening to God. And so they come to the conclusion, I don't see God's love. Because they, it's, it's, they're not looking at where God said. If, if you're looking for God's love and how people treat you, good, you know, God bless you. If you're looking for love in the world, being at peace, you're not going to find God's love there. If you're looking at love with complete justice happening in your life every day, see, people are looking for love in all the wrong places. I think there's a song, 70s maybe, that comes back about that. But folks, God has said, this is where my love is on display. Now you're either going to listen to that communication or you're going to forever be in the dark. Because God has articulated it. And in this text, more no clearer than this text that we looked at. So 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. But that's pretty clear, right? Here, it's like they're saying, okay, you want to know how God loves you? Forget about your preconceptions. Forget about what you've heard or what you think, your opinion. Our opinions mean nothing if God has spoken. By the way, if he hasn't spoken, then your opinion's as good as mine. That's where the, most of the world is, isn't it? They're grasping at straws. Because they don't think that God has spoken, but he has. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. That's it. And it goes on. Look at verse 10. Herein is love. Hello. God is saying, I'm telling you, this is where my love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So if you're talking about how much you love God, and yet you're still wondering sometimes where God's love is to you, take your eyes off yourself and your love for him and let him speak to you about where his love genuinely is. And it's Calvary, folks. It's Calvary. That is God's love on display. You can take it, or you can leave it. But that's where it is communicated. In fact, this Greek word love, or agape, that's translated love, I want to read to you from, I think I read this in our First John series early, long ago. But one, of the, one commentator made this statement. He said, the word agape, love, seems to have been virtually a Christian invention. A new word for a new thing. Then he goes on into more detail about that. But it's interesting. A new word for a new thing. And in fact, I preached a message in this series long ago called, um, I think it was like a new thing or something. Just what, what he said. 
This, the world had never seen a demonstration of God's love like Calvary. Never. It, it, they had never seen that. So when Jesus came and died on a cross for our sins, that was the first time God's love was on display. And it is on display. By the way, for those that are out there, that, and, and again, so many people question God's love. They would say, well, you know, how is Calvary, how is this love? I want to tell you some ways, real quickly, I want to tell you why, or how you and I can dismiss that love. Because so many people do it. You know, how we're, oh, I, I, let me go back to my quote. I, I do rabbit trails. It's really no use our talking in the way we've been doing if the words we use mean something different to each of us and nothing at all. See, God has, here's the bottom line of Christianity. We believe not only that there is a God, but that he has made himself known to us in his word. And that his word is understandable. And if he has not made it clear, so like I remember when I first started the gospel and, and, and there were so many people doubting what was being said, and I was wrestling with these things for the first time, having religion, but not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I remember so many of my friends would, would dismiss this guy that was preaching, this born-again crazy guy. They were dismissing him, saying, well, you know, that's just, the Bible says it can be interpreted so many different ways. I can't tell you how many people dismissed the message that John was preaching Because of that excuse. And I submit to you. If the Bible can can say a million different things. Whatever you read into it. Then God has not really spoken. But I submit to you. God has spoken. And again. As this quote says. Because it's so important you want to understand. It's really no use our talking in the way we have been doing. If the words we use mean something different to each of us. And I cannot tell you how many people will take Bible words and give their own definitions of it. Making the gospel that we preach void. Because that's not what God's saying. See, you and I are convinced that God has spoken in His Word in a way that we can comprehend it and understand it. And by the way, folks, for centuries... People that have studied the Bible literally and interpreted it grammatically, historically, literally, they're all on the same page, especially on the major doctrines of salvation, if they're allowing the text to speak for itself. And yet there's so many people that you you present the gospel, and I feel like that. Well, what's the use in us talking? Because I felt like that many times. You're given different definitions. So, you know, we're not on the same page. So if you want to know if God, where God's love is, look to Calvary. So here's some things uh, answering this question, because so many people have it. How is that God's love? How is that God's love? If, a couple, couple scenarios. If it's an unnecessary love. In other words, there's so many people that have the attitude, I got this. You know, the works thing. They're like, no, I got this. I'm good. I'm religious. I'm going to church. I'm... 
They're looking. What does, what does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2? For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. You know that everyone that is trying, trusting in their works, is dismissing the great love that's on display. Because they're, they're looking at Calvary, they're looking what Jesus did, and they're saying, no, I got this. You've got this? You, wait a minute. Do you understand that the grace of God is made of none effect? Those who are justified by works, you've fallen from grace, Paul says. Now, you don't understand. If Jesus Christ didn't do everything on the cross, and there's something you have to do, it isn't a great love. But it is a great love. How about this one? Some say it's unnecessary love because they got this. They don't need God's work. Second, it's a limited love. In other words, Jesus, I remember one, one, religion, one minister made this statement years ago. He said Jesus did about 95% of what needed to be done on Calvary. And I think he was thinking he was paying Christ high compliments. 95% of eternal. Oh, so we only have to do 5% of infinity. You got this? How about this? People will take away from the finished work of Jesus by putting other redemptresses or people that, you know, in other words, well, this person paid for some of our sin. Mary was not a co-redemptrix, folks. This is serious. And I'm telling you, for those that look at Calvary and say, what great love. We tend to take it personal when someone takes away from Calvary. We really do. Because it is God's greatest love. It is God's only demonstration of His love. And it's all wrapped up, folks, in what Jesus did on the cross. How about this one? A useless love. Some people have the attitude, you know what? I'm not that bad. Certainly don't deserve to go to hell. Come on, I'm pretty good. So Jesus really did not, did not need to die on Calvary. You know what we say, folks? You and I realize, I don't know about you, I should say, I'm not speaking for you, I am talking about myself. I deserve to go to hell. And, and if you don't think you do, remember James chapter 2? Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point... He's guilty of all. Have you ever coveted anything from anyone at any time? Even once. You Come on now, when you were 14, you remember being in that store? Maybe you didn't steal it, but you coveted it. If that was the only thing you ever did, you keep the whole law and yet you offend in one point, you're guilty of what? Everything. You see, only until you tremble at the law that you have spurned will you understand how great God's love for you is. And it is not a useless love. Is Calvary important to you? The cross? Is it important to you? Is it all important to you? So, Go back to 1 John chapter 4 if you're not already there. God's love on 
display. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Just look at how many times the word love is there. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because of God's Son, His only begotten Son, into the world, that we might live through Him. Verse 11 now, Beloved, if God so loved us, We ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. There are people that I respect because of certain things they've done in life, but it's always in a context. Um, There's some people that are praiseworthy in certain areas. The daughter of a a father was asked a question about her dad years ago. Her name was Patty Davis. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of her. And she was asked about what kind of a father her dad was. Now, some of you may know who her dad was. My favorite president. I almost said George Washington. Ronald Reagan. And um, Ronald Reagan was a great president in my mind. I loved his ability to lead the strength of his resolve. But as a dad, and so Peggy, uh, or Patty Davis was asked what kind of father he was. And here's what she said. She said, I think you come to peace with it when you realize at a point that he did, did the best he knew. That's not going in a good direction. Did the best he could. Where would he have learned how to be a conscious parent? Where would he have learned how to be an emotionally available father? It wasn't in that era. Sad, isn't it? So, and then, and then Peggy, the writer of the book that asked that question, wrote this question, or wrote, made this statement that I, it jumped out at me because it is not only true in Washington, and she even says that. Here's what she said. She said, Washington is full of people who work at the office late and go in on Saturdays and Sundays to prepare and argue over child-friendly welfare bills and child-friendly education initiatives and Head Start programs and reading programs for impoverished children. And sometimes, at their desks, they think of their own children and look up and promise themselves, next week we'll go on a picnic or to a ball game. And their children are home watching TV, or I love this one, or pushing a rock with a stick in the driveway I don't know if any kid pushes a rock in the... But that's, you know, and he's thinking, where's dad? Where's mom? She says, Washington, of course, isn't the only city this applies to, nor people in politics the only professionals. This is what professional ambition does. It takes you into the world and away from your family. You can make a lot of people's lives better that way, but you but you you can make the lives of those around you worse. It's one of the great traps. Wow. Isn't that true? How true it is. Relationship. And Jesus, and John even says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. I want to close with a, a, um, apparently a practice 
that I learned about many years ago. I did not do this with my children or my sons because uh, it's kind of an old custom that the American Indians used to do. But it's reminded me, I'm so conscious lately, and I forgot to mention, and Ethan is not the only one, our children are on our hearts. I'm asking you to pray for Ethan Ollis. Uh, many of you know, two Fridays ago, he was involved in a motorcycle accident. Almost died. Uh, it is amazing that God spared him. Just broke so many bones. Um, he's 19 years old. He grew up in our church. Precious young man. We need to be praying for Ethan. But I'm thinking of all of our young people that grew up in our church. And I want to make sure, because many of them, they know the doctrine. But what we want as parents is we want, we want them to have the relationship, don't we? So here's the practice that apparently, that I've never done, just so you know. The early American Indians, they had a, a practice of training their young braves. And it was on the boy's 13th birthday on that night. This, by the age of 13, they had already learned how to hunt and scout and fish. They had one final test. They were placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night there on their 13th birthday. Now, they'd never spent a night away from the family. But it was all a test. And uh, so they would blindfold the, the little lad, the brave, take him several miles away, and then take off the blindfold. He was in the middle of the thick woods, and he was terrified, as you can imagine. Every time a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. After what seemed like an eternity, dawn broke. First rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. Looking around, the boys saw flowers, trees, and the outline of the path. Then, to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was his father. He had been there all night long. I want to tell you why I love that. The verse we read tonight that I just read says, No man has seen God at any time. Oh, that's depressing. No, but don't forget what it says after that. It's like God's saying, but I'm telling you, this is where I'm showing you my love. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Folks, our children... And, and I am so, I'm praising the Lord. Though with many of our young people, not all of them have the walk with their, their, their Savior that they want. But I am blessed, for example, I am blessed when I see how Ethan's siblings and family has responded to his automobile accident. There's a relationship there. That's a blessing. Many of you, you have a relationship with your child. Your heart breaks for your child because, and we're all there. I mean, we, we want our kids to walk with the Lord, right? Remember what John said? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. But I want to encourage you. Cultivate that relationship. Because what you want for them is what you have with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. Do they see that? 
Can I take two extra minutes? I knew you'd say that. There was a letter that I read that when I first read it, I turned away from it because it just made me feel uncomfortable. Um, But I had to step back and say, all right, does this apply to me? It was written to a pastor. I never heard of this guy, Pastor Schmidt. I don't know any Pastor Schmitz. Anybody know any Pastor Schmitz? Brother John, you know any Pastor Schmitz? Okay, good, we're good. So, he wrote a, this, this child grew up in his church. And, and I take this as if someone in our church wrote this to me. The one always step back and look. And he said, he wrote to, and he said, I am a junior at a well-known Christian college. I grew up in highly respected fundamental independent Baptist churches and went to an excellent Christian schools. Went to excellent Christian schools. My father has been a Christian worker since I was born. Though I did make a profession of faith when I was very young, I didn't get saved until I was 17. Since I was 12 and now on into college, I have struggled with serious issues. And I found out when I went to college that I'm not the only good kid who is or has struggled with or is still struggling with serious stuff. Our parents, did, um, our parents did not spend time teaching us to love God. Our parents put us in Sunday school since K-4. Our parents took us to every church, to church every time the doors opened, set us to uh, every youth activity. They made sure we went to good Christian colleges. They had us sing in the choir, help in the nursery, be ushers, go soul winning. We did teen devotionals and prayed over every meal. We did everything right, and they made sure that we did. But they forgot about our hearts. Unfortunately, our fathers don't have time for us. They put us where we were surrounded by the Bible, but they didn't take time to show us that God was important enough to them to tell us personally about Him. So to us, Christianity became a religion of externals. Wow. Do all the right stuff and you're a good good Christian. Some of us walked away from church. Some of us stay in church and fill a pew. Many of us struggle with stuff that our parents have no idea about Because they hardly know us. I read that years ago, before I had kids. And I've read it many times. Because I don't want that with my kids. And I know, as a parent, I know how easy it is to react. Because sometimes, you know that earlier in communion, the, the letter I read, I think it was then, about how you were accessible It's, I've almost, and, and I, maybe you have too, I've almost shot myself in the foot with that. Because, you know, about preaching to your kids, I've, I've many times. Sometimes your kids say things you don't want to hear. But are you accessible enough that, because you know what, if, if you give them the impression that my mom and dad don't want to hear about this, this is a part of my life I can't share with them, then you've cut off the relationship in some ways. I don't want that. You know, when I talked about my daughters, I didn't like what they said. <laughs> I wish I could have just rewound and said, delete. Okay, let's go on from here, you know. Have you ever had that, parents? You know, there's some things your, your, your parents say, or your kids say, and it's like, but you know what? I love them, and I'm in a relationship with them. We're shepherding. I'm shepherding a, a congregation. We are shepherding our kids. But if we sever that relationship, then you and I are hindering, I believe, what could be their relationship with the Lord. What a blessing.
that you and I get to show the love of Christ to our family. Let's show them. Remember, no man has seen God at any time. How are they going to know it? Your love. For other Christians, for them. That is a supernatural thing. Let them see it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Father, as we, we want to honor you, we want to glorify you, and I, I pray that you'd help us as parents. Father, we love our kids, and there's so many kids that grew up in our church that uh, we pray many of them would return to you. Thank you, Lord, for uh, those that have a good relationship with their kids. And I pray, Father, that just like that Indian father, that, that children that grew up and did not, they don't see God, they haven't seen God in their life, may they realize, Father, that you are uh, still very involved, though no one has seen you. You are still very present, and you are very real. And help us as parents and help everyone in our church here to have a vibrant, living, powerful relationship with you that is seen by the people closest to us. So that those that are family members that don't have that relationship with the Lord would see it in us and want it. We ask your blessing tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen.